You can have a seat. We are beginning something new this morning, a new series. And so uh, in keeping with that series, we're going to begin the morning by watching a video for the next few minutes that's going to set up what we're going to do for about the next five weeks. So after the video is over, I'll come up and share a bit from the scripture. But before that, enjoy the video and I'll be back. Out of infinite power, wisdom, and love, God created men and women to know Him, to enjoy Him, to reflect His beauty on earth. He created us in His own image so that we could spread His glory throughout all of creation. Even when we rebelled and ran from God, He loved us and He pursued us. He sent His own Son, Jesus, to become one of us, to die for our sins and rise from the dead. And because of Him, we have life as a free gift. This is the story of God's grace in Jesus Christ. He brings dead hearts to life, transforms relationships, cities, and nations. He brings order from chaos, hope from despair, purpose from confusion. The grace of God in Christ changes everything. This is the story of God's grace, and it is also the story of Grace Bible Church. For more than 50 years, Grace Bible Church has devoted itself to helping people find and follow Jesus in our community and throughout the world. Coming to an understanding that people will excel in every way in life when they have the freedom and knowledge that they are loved no matter what is an incredible gift. The examples that have gone before us, the elders that I served with, starting in the 80s, and the men that taught the Sunday school classes and into their 80s laid out a foundation for an example of, we're here to serve until the day we die. What changes our life is seeing other people's lives changed. That, that turned our life upside down. God's Word teaches us to live with eternal significance and motivates us to give our lives to others just as Christ gave His life for us. Since our small church family first met, Grace has sought to accurately teach Scripture and humbly live out the commandments that Jesus has given us. Our sermons have over 50,000 views in more than 150 countries. Our Bible studies are used by thousands of people around the world. This is an ongoing testament to the world's hunger for the Word of God. Coming into college, I was looking to find out who I was, not find out who God was at all. I had stopped allowing myself to feel and to be known by other people just because I felt like no one really saw me and no one really understood. Uh, I actually came to Christ during worship here at Grace. He came and he found me in my brokenness and he told me that I have intrinsic worth and that he loves me so much that he um, sent down his one and only son and that he came down himself. 70,000 students now attend Texas A&M and Mumbling College, students who will shape the future of our nation and world. Currently, 2,500 of these college students enter our doors every Sunday. We want them to leave changed by the gospel and motivated to share the name of Jesus wherever God takes them next. And we hope in the years to come to reach even more of these students and connect them to healthy families in our church body who will equip them to serve Jesus for a lifetime. From the very beginning of our church, it was affirmed that we would not exist for our own comfort, but instead so that the nations could hear the good news of Jesus. 
Before our congregation was even able to pay a full salary to the senior pastor, the church stepped out in faith to sacrificially support four missionaries at the enormous sum of $10 per month. God has more than honored that courageous commitment, and He's allowed our missionaries to plant over 1,600 churches worldwide. He has grown our missions budget from $40 per month to more than half a million dollars every year. Being a part of a church that is mission-minded is easily one of the coolest and most unique experiences because I feel like there are so many churches that really don't care about missions. But when I found out that Grace was like, no, no, we're going to get this out there. Like we, we want to spread it. We want to get this as, as broad as we can in order for other, as, for as many ears as possible to hear. I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. I'm sold. Grace Bible Church began in 1965 with just 10 families. And now 52 years later, we are a thriving multi-site congregation numbering more than 5,000 people. It was just 10 years ago that God stirred our hearts in a new way. He made it clear that Grace could no longer effectively reach this community or send disciple makers to the world from a single location. He laid on the hearts of our elders a multi-site strategy that expands our capacity to equip and send followers of Jesus into our community and throughout the nations. In 2008, with our location on Anderson Street overflowing, we launched the Southwood Campus. As Southwood grew from one service to two services and spreading into the foyer, we knew God was stretching our faith yet again. And so seven years after starting Southwood, we launched our Creekside campus. In the past two years, Creekside has gone from one to two services and doubled in size. We now have 400 worshipers and 150 children each week and have even sent our first two international missions teams from Creekside. Throughout the entire history of Grace Bible Church, every time we have taken courageous steps of faith, God has rewarded our obedience by empowering us to tell even more people about His grace. God has already accomplished so much more than we asked or imagined. And yet we know that our work is not yet complete. Now is not the moment for us to congratulate ourselves or become complacent. Our community continues to grow faster than grace-filled churches are being planted. And throughout the world, there are college campuses that the body of Christ is not yet reaching. And so we believe that God is calling us to yet another step of courageous faith. In fact, we believe that we should never stop taking steps of courageous faith, boldly sharing the gospel and making disciples until the day our Lord Jesus returns, until the day when every knee in heaven and on earth will bow to Jesus Christ. That biblical vision has led us to call this next season in the life of our church, Every Knee. This initiative is going to require the participation of everyone in our church family. Our primary goal is that during this season, every one of us will learn more deeply what it means to love God and worship Him from an undivided heart. That every one of us and all of us together will experience the joy of generously giving all that we have and all that we are to Jesus. We have asked the Lord to show us what kind of impact He wants us to make for His glory. This has led us to our secondary goal of raising $32 million over the next two years to reach our neighbors and the nations while continuing to pursue the ministry that we do every day. Our current budget is just under $6 million every year. 
That's what it takes to fund all the current ministry that Grace is doing. Over the next two years, this $12 million puts us over a third of the way toward funding our vision for every knee. As Bryan College Station continues to grow, we want to press forward. Our hope is that every neighbor will have the opportunity to hear and respond to God's grace in Jesus Christ and fellowship in a disciple-making community. Because of this, we are seeking to establish a permanent facility for our Creekside campus while also taking steps toward establishing our next local campus. To continue expanding our reach to our surrounding neighbors, we are seeking to raise $18 million. Throughout our entire history, Grace Bible Church has joined with like-minded followers of Jesus to share the gospel and plant churches among the nations. Within the next two years, we plan to partner with other churches and networks to plant one new church near a strategic university campus in the United States and one new church near a strategic university campus internationally. In order to provide support for these new plants, we are seeking to raise $2 million. Altogether, our commitment to continue in ministry every day, even as we stretch to reach every neighbor and every nation, totals $32 million over the next two years. We are making steps toward establishing us. We'll partner together in our church's vision as we step forward. William Carey, the great missionary pioneer, once said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. What we sense that God has laid on our hearts feels a bit overwhelming, but also exciting. And so first, we ask that you pray fervently. We know that apart from the movement of God's Spirit, nothing of eternal significance is accomplished in this world. So let's pray that our church would move forward in humility, in dependence, but also with boldness, because we know that the growth of His church is the longing of God's heart. Remembering God's faithfulness to us over the years, and that God gave us everything. Are we honoring Him with everything uh, that He's given us? And then as we look forward and we want Him to continue to use us, will we honor Him with everything that He's going to give us in the future? Second, let's give generously from the resources God has given us, whether small or great. Everything we have belongs to Him. Allow God to grow your generosity and your faith as together we seek to follow Him. When you are giving or when you're giving, whether it's time or whether it's financially, I think that you're just expressing this love for God and for God's people. Finally, celebrate boldly the vision God has given us. Share your enthusiasm for all that God has done and continues to do in every one of us at Grace over the next two years. I look back um, and, and, and almost reenact the gospel over and over as far as what Christ has done for me. And I say that I am pardoned and I am forgiven. And the more that I realize that, then the giving is more of an outflow. God wants every man, woman, and child to know Jesus, and so do we. He is our God and our King. He is worthy of our offerings and our worship. He is worthy of all that we have and all that we are. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. All right. Well, hopefully you enjoyed just that small glimpse into Grace Bible Church where God has taken us and where we feel God is leading us. 
Over the next five weeks, we're beginning a new series and and continuing a series that will be tied to what you just saw. The name Every Knee primarily comes from Philippians chapter 2, which I prayed from earlier that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who we are as a church. What we're doing really over the next five weeks, we see as a continuation of what God has been doing at Grace Bible Church for the last 52 years. This is nothing new for us to say, we wanna give all that we have and all that we are to the mission of God in the world so that people can know Jesus Christ. As we move forward with the series, I want you for a moment to grab the materials that are on the aisles. I think they're right here and on this far aisle. There's a book that uh, if you can grab one, everybody get one. It's not one per family. Every single person can take one. This book is yours to keep. uh, And uh, we would ask, keep it over the course of the next five weeks. Bring it back into the worship services. If you have a pen, just write your name somewhere on it, on the front cover or on the inside, on this white space here, so you know which one is yours, so your spouse doesn't steal yours uh, sometime during the course of the week. Um, Let me just walk through really quickly a little bit of what you're getting before we move into the sermon for the morning. Inside the book, in the first few pages, you'll see this letter from the pastors and elders. This kind of lays out what God is doing in Grace Bible Church and a little bit of who we are. Following that, there are a lot of pages about grace. There's some statistics. There are some testimonies of people whose lives have been transformed through the ministry of Grace Bible Church. Um, I would encourage you to take some time to read all of that over the next day or two, over the next week. Get a sense of who we are. Some of you are very familiar with us as a church, some of you less so, but get a sense of all that God has done. After that, there are a few pages about the initiative that you just saw described in the video, the Every Knee initiative itself, including the financial benchmarkers, but also the goals. There is also, for those who are interested, since this is Creekside, there's a nice little elevation drawing of what we hope our future facility will look like. Hopefully, I'll be able to present some more in the coming weeks. Toward the back of the book uh, is a place for sermon notes for each week. So five-week series, there are five spots where you can take notes. So bring it back, um, and there are some questions to answer as you walk through the sermon, some notes to take. And then on the very back page is a website, everyknee.org. Everyknee.org is where it's kind of a hub for the series as well as for this upcoming initiative. That video will eventually be on there along with some other testimony videos. And I believe there will be links as well to the sermons, anything that you'd want connected. So go there. There is a card tucked in there for just a minute. Hang on to that. I want to talk about that in a second. But before I do, here's what I want to do is as we walk forward, I want to reiterate This was mentioned in our video, but I want to reiterate the primary and secondary goals for this next stage, for this next five weeks, and then ultimately for the next couple years of Grace Bible Church. The primary goal is this. It's what we're calling 100% engagement, 100% engagement. And what we mean by this is this, that each one of us and all of us together will experience the joy of generously giving all that we have and all that we are to Jesus. All right, so what, what do we mean by this? Here's what we're saying. Our primary goal, and we want to be very clear about this, our primary goal 
is not to raise funds, okay? We're going to talk about this in a few minutes, but the reality is God doesn't need our money, all right? God owns all our money already. God can do whatever he wants to do without it. Our primary goal then is not to raise funds, but our primary goal in every season, but especially we think in this next season, is the transformation of our hearts that by the end of this five weeks, we will say this, that whatever I have, my body, my time, my skills, and yes, my money, it all belongs to God. Everything I have belongs to God. It already does. So am I reflecting that reality with how I live, with how I give, with what I do? We want all of us to experience the joy of generously giving all that we have and all that we are to Jesus. We really firmly believe there is no greater joy on the planet than to participate in the mission of God around the world in every way possible. And I've been thinking about this goal consistently as we've been preparing for this series and just thinking, I want my heart to be in that place where I stand before God and I say, God, everything I have is yours. And then reflect that with what I do and what I give. For some of you, you may honestly be able to stand before God and say, hey, that's me. I have surrendered everything to the Lord. Uh, Some of you, you may never have even thought about this concept of how you're giving is connected to your spiritual life. Others of you, you may say, I've thought about it my whole life and I'm right where I need to be. My guess is most of us are in the middle where we would say, I've begun to move forward in this area, but I still have work to do. And so our prayer is that we will do some of that work over the course of the next five weeks. Okay, our secondary goal is this. The secondary goal is the financial benchmarks themselves. All right, that's the secondary goal. And I realize they went through kind of quickly in the video. So let me reiterate them again. There are three benchmarks. One is what we're calling every day. That is $12 million. And essentially that's what we would call our regular operating budget. So right now, As we mentioned, our regular operating budget is around $6 million a year. That's what it takes to run the facilities. That's what it takes for the staff. That's what it takes for our missions. We mentioned the half million dollar missions budget for our outreach activities, evangelism activities. Everything that we do right now costs about $6 million per year. So over two years, that's $12 million. We want to continue that. Secondly, every neighbor. That every neighbor includes a building for Grace Creekside. Uh, That's about $16 million is what we're estimating. We're still getting those final figures back from architects and contractors. Around $16 million for a permanent facility in South College Station for Grace Bible Church Creekside. We'll, We'll talk about this more also. The goal of that is not simply that we don't have to set up and tear down chairs, although that's a major plus, I realize, for many of you. Uh, But the goal is that we are able to establish a place in South College Station where the gospel can be preached until Jesus comes back. And that's our desire. Uh, The other $2 million of that is a seed fund for an additional fourth campus at some point in the future. We're still praying about where that will be, what are the high growth areas of our community, the people moving into town who are moving into high growth areas who don't know Jesus. So campus four, we want to have about $2 million just to get us started. Some of you know, just to get started here cost us, uh, you know, roughly a quarter to a half million dollars plus the staff. So it was probably about, ultimately, I would guess a million dollars just to begin a campus here. Uh, If we can establish a seed fund for campus four, that allows us to get going. 
And then the third benchmark is every nation. That's $2 million, a million dollars for one domestic church plant, not in College Station, and a million dollars for one international church plant near a strategic university campus. So all totaled, that's $32 million over the course of the next two years. That's our secondary goal. All right, as I mentioned, though, our primary goal is that all of us will begin to give all that we have and all that we are to Jesus Christ. So in that vein, let me talk for just a moment about the card that was tucked into the book that you just got. Um, Some of you have perhaps in the past been a part at churches of giving initiatives or campaigns or whatever, where there was a card, like a pledge card. Um, This is different from that in a couple of critical respects. Uh, different from some of the other pledge cards you may have received. The primary difference is this, that this is not going to be used as a way for us over the next couple of years to constantly follow up and make sure that you give whatever you write down on this cart. Okay, in, in some cases, perhaps you've been a part of an initiative, you wrote down a number, then maybe you got regular phone calls or people knocking on your door or whatever to say, have you given this? Or you said you'd give us 20 bucks a week and last week it was 19. That's not what this is for. Uh, Nobody uh, really, very few I should say, will know the number you write down in here. I will never know the number that you write down in here. We're not going to put a thermometer in the foyer with your name on it and how much you're giving and add it all up to the total. That's not going to happen. All right. What this is instead is this is simply a tool for two purposes. One purpose of this is so that we can go before God with our families or whoever we need to do this process with. We go before God and we say, God, how much out of what you have given me are you calling me to give toward your work at Grace Bible Church? So uh, what I love about it is if you open it up, there's actually a spot already for what you normally give. So some of these types of cards, people will say, look, we want you to give above and beyond your normal giving, right? Well, the reality is there may be some in this room that you say, hey, I have not really ever thought about giving to the body, to, to the church, to the body of Christ at the church. And that number right now may be zero, And I say that not out of shame. I I pray that there won't be an ounce of shame, but that we will take this moment to say, I'm gonna move forward wherever God has me. Some of you, you say, I'm already giving sacrificially. We wanna celebrate that with that box. And then we all wanna push forward a little further and say, how is God stretching me to say, I wanna take what I have and give to him. The other purpose of this tool is for communication. And what I mean is this, this will be used as an opportunity for the leadership of Grace Bible Church to hear from the congregation. What I mean is, as you saw in the video, we believe this is where God is leading our church in the next couple of years. And so we've established these financial benchmarks. At the end of the five weeks, we will fill these out. We will hand them in. And as a leadership, what we're really looking at is not how much you are giving. The only people that will really know that, again, are probably the people who send you a receipt. What we're looking at is the big picture. And so it may be at the end of this five weeks, we raise exactly $32 million, right? We hit it on the nose, 32,000,000, and we go, praise the Lord, exactly what we raise is exactly what we thought we needed, and we move forward. But a couple other things could happen. One could be is that there's less, right? That we, the number comes back and it's something less than that 32 million. And we say, okay, the spirit of God has spoken through the people of God. And so we need to think about how we're going to proceed. Do we need to adjust our plans based upon what the congregation is saying about how God is leading them? 
The third possibility, and this is the one I've been praying for, is that we get them back and we go, wow, we didn't dream big enough. That God is moving in this congregation in a way we didn't anticipate. And maybe there's $40 million. And we go, praise the Lord. And now we are going to move forward uh, with additional initiatives or additional things we didn't think about. Right, So that's the value ultimately of it is that it's a tool for y'all to communicate with the leadership, but also to go before the Lord. Don't fill it out today. Uh, don't fill it out this week. We're going to do this together later on down the line. As I mentioned, as we move forward throughout the next five weeks, here's the question that we're going to be asking over and over and over again. Okay? Over and over and over again is this question. Why should we become generous and joyful givers? Why should we become generous and joyful givers? Because there is no doubt that the scripture says that we should, right? That we should be people who love giving to the purposes of God. Because there's nothing greater, in my opinion, and in the scripture's words, than participating in the work of God. So why should we become generous and joyful givers? Let me offer a few wrong reasons before we talk this morning about one important reason to become generous and joyful givers, right? There's a lot of wrong reasons. A lot of wrong answers to that question. One is this, as we mentioned earlier, maybe because I think God needs my money, right? I look at the church and I go, I'm giving because the church needs my money. Now, in some sense, the reality is that, yes, it requires money to operate any organization. A church is no different. But, but God has been providing for Grace Bible Church before I was born before most of us in this room were born, before almost any of us were attending Grace Bible Church, God has been providing. God will be providing long after we are in the grave. Isaiah chapter 66, God says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What kind of house could you build for me? God doesn't need your money because God already owns your money. It's already his. He owns you, he owns everything in the world. So we don't give because we say, you know what? God really needs it. And ultimately we don't necessarily give even because we say the church needs it. Okay, we're gonna talk about why we give, but but in the final analysis, it's not primarily because God or some organization even needs my money. We don't give because we believe God will make us rich. Now, if you turn on the television, it won't take you long to find a preacher who says this is one of the main reasons we give, right? We give because if I give, God will give me more and more and more money and I can build a bigger house, I can buy a better car, I can buy nicer clothes. That is nowhere in the scripture. And if that promise is in the scripture, then I would think that God owes a big apology to the apostles who lived in poverty often and who were persecuted and lived in want often for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there are passages in the Bible that indicate that giving results in a blessing at times, right? Jesus says it, it's in the Old Testament, but it's always in the context of what God has given. He gave to you so you can give back to him, right? It's never in the context of God will just make us wealthy and wealthier and wealthier the more we give. That is not true from the scripture. We don't give because God will make us rich, nor do we give because my money will buy God's favor or the favor of any person, right? Salvation is a free gift. It's a gift. It's something God gave us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 when we studied the book of Ephesians last semester. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, right? It's a free gift of God. There's nothing you're going to give, nothing you're going to do that is going to cause God to love you more, that's going to cause God to give you more salvation. It's a free gift. 
Likewise, the scripture in the book of James warns leaders don't look with favoritism upon those who give more or those who have more. We don't give so that the church leadership will like us more. As I said, I will never know how much you're giving. I don't know and will never know. So we don't give because God needs our money. We don't give because God will make us rich. We don't give because my money buys God's favor or the leadership's favor. So let's come back to the question then. Why should we become generous and joyful givers? We're gonna start with one reason this morning, and it's this. Giving is an act of worship to our worthy God. Giving is an act of worship to our worthy God. Now, I'm gonna spend a little bit of time in Exodus chapters 35 and 36 this morning. If you have a Bible, get on over to Exodus chapter 35. Uh, I'm going to read from it in a few minutes. Before I do, here's what I want to say. When you hear that phrase, that giving is an act of worship, my guess is that for some of you, that sounds a little bit strange, right? And the reason is because when we think about giving or worship, what do we typically think about these days? We think about singing, right? We come in here and there's a worship leader. So the Olseys were our worship leaders this morning, or Kenny is our worship leader. And so the songs we sing are worship, right? Or we hear a sermon and that is worship. Okay, but as you look at the scripture, worship is actually much broader than that. Okay, the English word for worship comes from the word for worth or worthy. All right, so what do I do when I am worshiping? I am saying that whatever I am worshiping or whoever I am worshiping is worth it, is worth whatever I have. So the Greek and Hebrew words for worship, they actually have the idea of bowing down before God, right? So I take my body and I get down on the ground and I kneel or I bow before God. And what am I saying? God is greater than I am. God is more valuable than I am. God is worth me taking my body and symbolically bowing down before God to say everything I have and everything I am, it's worth giving to him because he's worthy. So worship then is this. Worship is to acknowledge the value or superiority of God with our words, songs, acts of devotion, or gifts. To acknowledge the value or superiority of God with our words, songs, acts of devotion, or gifts. That I say God is worth what I have to give, whether that's my time, whether that's my money, whether that's my abilities, whatever it is. So when we think about Sunday morning, why do we call Sunday morning worship? Let me explain this. Why do we call it worship? Well, here's why. Because when you come in here, what you are saying is God is worth me giving the first hour or two of my waking week to him. That I say on the first day of the week, it's worth it. It's worth an hour. It's worth two hours to give it to God because God is worth it. Why do we call singing worship? Well, when you come in here, you are singing a praise to God with your mouth. You're saying, God, you are worthy. Now, this is interesting. Some of you come in and you sing and the reality is, and I don't want to hurt your feelings. Some of you are just, you're not professional singers. And so we stand in here and maybe you hear somebody around you and they sing and they're not right on key. Now, if we were anywhere else, if you got up on a stage and began to sing, those of us in our kindness around you might say, maybe don't do that, right? Maybe find something else where you can express what you can do because this is not your thing, okay? But when you come in here, what are we gonna say? Even if you sing off key, we want you to sing. Do you know why? Because when I sing, I am proclaiming God is worth me singing these words to him, even, even if it costs me a little bit of my dignity when people hear me sing. God is worth it. 
so that when we worship, we acknowledge the value or superiority of God with our words, songs, acts of devotion, or gifts. So what does this mean when we talk about giving? Well, giving is an act of worship in which we proclaim that God is worth everything that we have to give. Giving is an act of worship in which we proclaim that God is worth everything that we have to give. Now, here's what surprised me over the course of the last week a little bit. And I may be surprised is too strong. What, what I was a bit reminded of in, in a way that I had forgotten is that this, when you go to the Old Testament and you look at the way the Israelites worshiped, their primary means of worship was not to sing and it was not to listen to a sermon. For the Israelites, their primary means of worship was giving. Because here's how they worshiped. Remember, there was a tabernacle in the wilderness. And then later there was a temple in the land of Israel. And how did they worship? Well, they would bring offerings to God. That's what they did. When you read about the sacrifices and offerings in the tabernacle and the temple, only a small percentage of those offerings were sin offerings. In other words, there were some offerings they brought because they had done something wrong. They have violated God's law and they would bring an offering to atone for that sin, right? And the priest would sacrifice a lamb or a goat or they would give wine or oil or grain or whatever it was as a sin offering. But the vast majority of the offerings, in fact, were what you might call free will or also peace offerings, right? The vast majority were these offerings that they brought day in and day out where they would say, I have a lamb or a goat, the best of my flock, and God is worth me giving it to him. And so they'd bring it to the tabernacle to be sacrificed as an offering to God. That was their primary means of worship for decades, for hundreds of years. That's how the Israelites worshiped. And we see this even in the New Testament, that a huge and central aspect of their worship was always to take what they had and say, how can God use whatever I have, houses, money, land, resources, to spread the good news that Jesus is alive? That leads us then to Exodus chapter 35, where we're going to see a beautiful scene of people worshiping God with the resources he has given them. I want to set the context for just a minute. You may remember Exodus, uh, in the book of Exodus, God describes to Moses the tabernacle. He says, here's what I want the tabernacle to look like. And once you build the tabernacle, God's presence is going to come dwell in the Holy of Holies, right? There was the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence would dwell among the people. His glory resided in the tabernacle. And that was where they would come and make sacrifices. They would worship God. And so God says, Moses, here's exactly what I want the tabernacle to look like. And then he says, Moses, go to the people and tell them, we need materials to build this tabernacle. So whatever you got, whatever you brought out of Egypt, whatever you have in your tent, bring it. Now follow with me, Exodus chapter 35, starting in verse 20. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses's presence Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Then all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets, all articles of gold. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. Every man who had in his possession blue and purple and scarlet material and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and porpoise skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver and bronze brought the Lord's contribution. And every man who had in his possession acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. 
All the skilled women spun with their hands and brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet material and in fine linen. All the women whose heart stirred with a skill spun the goat's hair. The rulers brought the onyx stones and the stones for setting the ephod and the, for the breastpiece and the spice and the oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. The Israelites, all the men and women whose heart moved them to bring material for all the work which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, brought a free will offering to the Lord. Now go down to chapter 36, verse 2. Then Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab. Those are the two guys in charge of the construction. And every skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to the work to perform it. They received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work and the construction of the sanctuary. And they still continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. And all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he was performing. And they said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more for the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. Now, what's remarkable about this partly is it was only a few chapters earlier that the people had donated their gold to build something else, namely a big gold cow that they could worship. But God restarts the covenant with them and he forgives them. And he says, now I want you to build this place where I will be worshiped in my glory. And the people grab everything they have. And what happens is a few days go by and they're still bringing stuff and they're still bringing stuff and they're still bringing stuff. And finally, the construction team says, wait a second, we got piles of stuff now that we can't use. You brought way too much. Because here's what was going on was these people said, we are a kingdom and a priest, a nation of priests, holy to God. And as we travel through the wilderness and as we go to the promised land and as we move among the nations and they see the glory of God and they see us worshiping him, we want to have a tabernacle that is like God described and everybody wanted to be a part of it. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. Nobody wanted to be that guy in decades that they looked back and they said, yeah, when everybody brought the stuff for the tabernacle, I just didn't, I couldn't do it. I was saving for an extra goat, right? My previous goat had 50,000 goat miles on him and he looked shaggy and old. And so I was stashing my money and here's, well, that goat is dead now, actually. It's been a long time. No, what they wanted to do is walk by with their kids and grandkids and say, you see that curtain? I donated a part of that. You see that pole on the tabernacle where the God who rescued us from Egypt is worshiped? I donated that. They wanted to be a part of what God was doing. And so they brought all they could bring. And here's the principle that we see illustrated in their worship is this. We give toward what we love. We give toward what we love, right? Wherever your love, wherever your affection is, that is where your money will go. That is where my money will go. We give to what we love. Think about the things that you love to do or that are important in your life. And I promise you, you spend money on them, right? Maybe it's cars, maybe it's a house, maybe it's a hobby. For me, it's often music and concerts. I love these things. And so there are days I look at what I've spent and I go, maybe I love it more than I should, right? A few years ago, Shannon and I went to Magnolia Market in Waco. Some of you have been there. The famous store that was built by Chip and Joanna Gaines of Fixer Upper, 
And what was remarkable is the big attraction there is a giant store. And so we stood in line for like an hour just to get inside the store so that we could walk through the store and like spend $35 on t-shirts that said shiplap or spend $175 on a metal thing for the wall that says it's all good or whatever. And not only that, but once we got inside, we got the stuff and we stood in a long line of people who were just waiting to give this group their money. Right. And so they'd get to the front and they'd have all this stuff and they'd ring it up and they'd go, that'll be, you know, fourteen hundred and twenty two dollars. And they go, man, I don't have it. Honey, go sell the car real quick. Come back. We need this stuff. It was that important because we give money toward what we love. Right. And when we love something, in fact, spending the money doesn't feel like we're losing anything, does it? It feels like we're gaining. And so we would walk out spending money somewhere we love, not thinking man, I'm sorry I don't have that money, but we'd walk out going, look what I got because we give toward what we love, right? And we see that principle play out in the nation of Israel. We see that principle play out in our lives. When we buy something, when we invest in a home, when we invest in a car, when we invest in our kids' education, on some level, it's because those are things that matter to us, right? And and I'm not suggesting that Every product we buy means we're worshiping it, right? There are products that we have to buy. There are things we have to spend to live. So, you know, if you happen to like fancy cheese, I'm not saying that you have a cheese-shaped shrine in your house or something like that, that you bow down before. Okay, but, but it may be that if there's something in your life that you say, I cannot give to the purposes of God's kingdom because I have to whatever with my money. I'm holding back from giving to the purposes of God because of my house, my kids' education, my future retirement dreams, whatever it may be, I'm holding back. Then that's where we need to ask, has it become for us a God that we worship instead of a tool that we use for the kingdom of God? We give toward what we love. If we love our spouses, we will spend money at times on them. Men, if you say that you love your wives and yet you have never purchased for her dinner or flowers or a card for her birthday, and yet you say, well, I love her. I love her in my heart. It's my heart that matters. She's going to say, I don't give a hoot about your heart. Give me a gift for my birthday because that reflects what's in my heart. I give toward what I love. You say, I love my kids, but they don't really need food, right? I don't really have to buy stuff for them. We give our money toward what we love. This, this principle became very real to Shannon and me when I was in seminary in our 20s because there were months that we would hit the end of a month. And, I'm sorry, we would hit the end of the money before we hit the end of the month. And there'd be five, six, seven days left sometimes where we would say, how, how are we going to eat for the next week? Right? And it was, it, was, it was difficult and it was painful and it was scary. And yet somewhere in the midst of that, I sensed the Lord directing me, even in this poverty, I want you to give. To make a statement with your money that the love of God is where you want your heart to turn. I promise you the money we gave did not at all impact the budgetary decisions of our church. It was little to them. They didn't need it. I needed to give it. 
because we give toward what we love. And if we believe that God is worthy, we will give toward the purposes of God. And that's the next thing I want to say this morning. God is worthy of our giving. Let me go back real quick. God is worthy of our giving. Two passages very quickly. Revelation chapter 4. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. God made us. God owns you and me. God owns your money. God owns your house. God owns your car. God owns everything. God made you. He made the world. It's all his. And so in this beautiful worship scene, the creation of God says, you're worthy because you made it all. And then in Revelation 5, we sang from this last week, if you were here, God saved us. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. Why? For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. What I love about this passage is Jesus said, you're worthy. Jesus gave what was valuable to him, his life, so you could have eternal life. He bought you. He reached deep into his pockets and he said, you're worth it. And so in this beautiful worship scene, they say, Jesus, you're worthy. You're worthy of all honor, all glory, all praise, all we have to give. We give toward what we love. And I believe once we recognize who God is and what he's doing in the world, then nothing will compare to the joy of utilizing our resources for his purposes. And then finally, as we close, I want to make this point. Not only do we give toward what we love, whoops, excuse me, but we also love what we give toward. We come to love whatever we give toward, okay? You saw briefly, it popped up there. Some of you have seen bumper stickers like this, perhaps driving around town. My money and my daughter go to Texas, right? Now, what would motivate somebody to put this monstrosity on their vehicle? In this color. Well, here's what motivates them. Notice what comes first. It's not my daughter. It's my money. I'm spending thousands of dollars at this institution. My money and my daughter go to Texas. So let's say that you have a child, even if you're an Aggie, you have a child that one day decides they want to go here to TU, right? And after you have a good cry, you say, if that's what makes you happy, we'll do it. If that's what you want. So you, so you do it. But here's what happens. Because your money's going there and because you're spending all that money, you have to at least act like you kind of like the place, right? You feel obligated. And what, what's going to happen over time? You might begin to go to some of their games, right? If you're not careful, you might find yourself wearing a burnt orange shirt. And this love, I know, yeah. And this love of this place does what? It begins to creep into your heart. So now you have a toxic affection that you cannot remove. We love what we give toward. If you have stock, let's just say in Hershey's chocolate, what are you going to do? Beginning of each week, maybe you'll pull up the stock price because now you're invested. Maybe you'll tell your friends, you need to eat more chocolate. It's good for you. Right? Because you're invested. Your money is there. Last fall, after the Compassion Experience came to College Station, our family, we sponsored a young boy from Togo. All right, and let me be vulnerable here. Prior to sponsoring him, I am not sure I could have located Togo on a map of Africa. Now, I've heard of it. I just didn't know where it was. I didn't know anything about it. But you know what happened? All of a sudden, now that that money was going monthly toward Togo, I pulled up a map and I pulled up the Wikipedia article and we read about Togo and their economy. 
and how many people are there and what it's like and what is life like for this young man. You know why? Because my money was going there. When we give to the church, when we give to the the values of God, our hearts begin to go there. You begin to love whatever it is that you are going to give toward. We will learn to love and worship whatever gets our money. That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If all my treasure is in the things of earth, that's where my heart will be. What do I dream about buying with my money? That's probably where my heart is. But if my treasure is in the things of heaven, that's where my heart will be. We learn to love what we give toward. We give toward what we love. God is worthy of our giving and we love what we give toward. As we close, I'm gonna invite the band back up. We're gonna close with a song. And, and as we sing and kind of as we prepare for the end of our service and as we prepare for the next several weeks, again, I want us to remember, here's fundamentally why we want to become joyful and generous people. It is because giving is an act of worship to the God who made us and redeemed us in Jesus Christ, that he died for our sin and he rose again so we can have life. And so we give as an outflow of all that he's given to us. And so in that vein then, as we close in worship, there's a question I want each of us to keep at the forefront of our minds. Where, what does my bank account tell me about what I love? What does my bank account tell me about what I love? I've been asking myself this question over the last several months. And to be honest, at times, the answers that come back to my heart, I don't always like them. Because at times there are things I don't want to release or let go of to God. If somebody looks at your spending, if somebody looks at your saving, if somebody looks at your bank account, what does it say about what I love? And how can we begin to reorient our hearts and our minds that our bank accounts, in addition to all of our lives, reflect the love of our God who is worthy? So we're going to close by praising him this morning that he is worthy of all of our praise and all that we have to give. Father, that's our prayer this morning, that our entire lives would be built around your love and the reality of Christ's death and resurrection for us, that out of gratitude and out of trust in your power, that all we have and all we are, we would give to you. Father, we thank you for this time, and we pray that we would walk with you through this week. In Jesus' name. If you did not get a book or you know someone who needs one, there will be some on the way out. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.